Ladies and gentlemen and Corner Kick fam, welcome to our very own illustrious award show that we know you've all been waiting for. You know, there's not going to be a Ballon d'Or this year. The FIFA's the best awards are, uh, they're, you know, sometimes a little bit questionable. So we decided to bring you our very own footballing award show, the Corner Kick Awards. We have eight awards to give out today, all ranging from individual player awards to sort of more niche opinion-based awards to some fun awards like corner kick galazzo of the season it's important to note however that we have not discussed our picks for who we're going to give out our individual awards to so for every single award we're each going to have come up with who we think should be a deserving recipient we're going to present our case for that individual we'll see how the discussion carries us from there and who will end up the winners of our illustrious Corner Kick Awards. So we're going to be mailing out statues and statuettes. We're going to have them printed up. Don't ask how we got the addresses to send these awards to. Just accept it. Just accept. Listen, if you're like Jurgen Klopp, Kevin De Bruyne or whomever, not to spoil anything, if you get a little Corner Kick statuette in the mail and you don't know where it came from, don't question it. Just take it inside, put it on display next to all your, you know, what some would call mainstream football accolades and just leave it be, you know, you, you want a corner kick award. Congratulations. You know, also to make it clear, my corner kick awards will look slightly different than theirs. Mine are just Chia pets, but they're your, <laughs> they're, they look like the player's heads, So you can grow your hair. Oh my God. So like you're, you're going to have like a David Louise style, like Chia pet. So it also gives something to the bald players out there, namely hair. <laughs> Speaking of David Louise, you know, he might, there is, there is a category here in which he might actually receive a corner kick award. Lads, there are eight awards that we have to give out today. Like I said, the first is corner kick player of the year. And this is specifically for the Premier League. Caleb Rhodes, who is your corner kick Premier League player of the year? This is an award I think shouldn't be that controversial, but I'm giving it to De Bruyne. He was so incredibly dominant. It was crazy. Top assister in the league by seven assists. First person to get 20 plus assists in the Premier League since Thierry Henry. He was also the 16th top scorer in the league with 13 goals. Just an all-time great midfield season from him. And now that, you know, City have Champions League to look forward to both this season and next season, um, I think he should be on his way to carry out this good form. Nathan Strauss, who is your corner kick Premier League player of the year? My corner kick Premier League player of the year is also, in fact, Kevin De Bruyne. Uh, I think that he is certainly a top five player in the world. Um, But you just look at how he played uh, on the last match day of the season and that one spectacular goal he scored in that match that pretty much says it all he's a player with basically as big a passing range as you can have he's got a lethal shot with both feet and uh in a season that was pretty much a a down spell for city he as always was one of their brightest spots on the pitch 
So I'm perfectly happy shipping one of our very lovely Chia Pet Corner Kick Awards to the residence of the Belgian maestro Kevin De Bruyne. However, I did not pick him. And I think this comes from a place of incredible bias. However, I think, like we discussed in our last episode, it's important that we celebrate this player, especially in this historic season for his club. My corner kick player of the year from the Premier League is Jordan Henderson, the club captain for Liverpool. Uh, Let me make the case for him before I get jumped on here. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, he has just recently picked up the Football Writers Association Player of the Year Award. And while, like I said, or like we all said last week, I believe the three of us believe that Kevin De Bruyne is rightfully deserving of the PFA Player of the Year Award. However, I think Jordan Henderson, it's important to note that I mentioned this on our previous episode. Uh, However, I'm going to get deeper into the statistics of why he is so vital for this Liverpool team that won the league by so many points. Jordan Henderson, his win percentage when he was in the Liverpool side was 82.40% versus the 58.3% when he was not in the Liverpool team. He is key to both the defensive and the offensive identity of the team, especially the more modified gig and press that Jurgen Klopp has employed this season. And I think the craziest stat of all, in a team that is exemplified by grit and grind, Jordan Henderson completed 532 successful opposition presses this season, which is a ridiculous number and it far outweighs any other player on the Liverpool 11. I think that's just an absurd testament to Hendo's work rate. I think his contribution, it is warranted for him to be in the conversation for player of the year. I I mean, I I think you're right that Henderson has been key to that Liverpool system and perhaps the most essential element of it. But I think that in in an award that should really be given to the player who demonstrates the greatest individual quality, I think that De Bruyne has to win out. That's why I think that it's good that there are two awards for Premier League Player of the Year so that you can actually have two different recipients. But at the same time, I just don't feel comfortable giving Henderson an award over a player like Kevin De Bruyne with the numbers that he was putting up this year. Nathan, don't you mean three? We This is the corner kick award. Oh, yes. <laughs> corner kick player of the Year award. <laughs> Forgive me, please. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I'm perfectly fine with awarding Kevin De Bruyne the player of the year. I think he's more than deserving of it, especially since it's been so long since Thierry Henry set that assist record. And at the rate in which Man City have been playing for the past three years, I'm surprised it's taken De Bruyne this long to actually match it. So I'm perfectly okay with awarding Kevin De Bruyne with the player of the year, as long as we are recognizing the contributions of probably what I would say is the most consistent overall player in the Premier League in Jordan Henderson, especially for the champions Liverpool. Fair enough. We will agree to disagree, despite Nathan and I being able to outvote you. (laughs) Now, perhaps we can move to the corner kick rising star of the year award. And maybe we will start with Nathan this time. Who are you bringing to the table? I feel like, so I have two answers for this one, and I wasn't sure about your opinion on this. Whoa, 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 whoa. The whole point of these awards is that we pick one guy. Well, in that case, I think my rising star <laughs> of the year has to go to Trent Alexander-Arnold. Opportunity on the edge of the penalty area. Henderson striding back. In the middle is Alexander-Arnold. Alexander-Arnold! Rolled into his path by Mo Salah, and Alexander-Arnold finds the top corner 
a beautifully taken free kick. And I know that he has certainly been an established Premier League player for the last two years, two and a half years at this point. I think this year solidified him as a true star in the global sense. I mean, I'm, I would be pretty comfortable saying at this point that he's the best right back in the world. And at his age, I think I'm excited to see where he goes from here. He broke his own assists record that he set last year um, for assists by a defender, I believe. And you can see how he carries himself on the pitch, his ability to score goals from free kicks. He's a totally different kind of threat uh, running all up and down the right flank and even occasionally into the center of the park as well. So he is my one true pick for corner kick rising star. So I'll go next. I have Trent Alexander-Arnold as well. Uh, it's no surprise that I have him, especially being such a, a massive Liverpool fan. So maybe this is tinged with a hint of bias as well. But I agree with everything that Nathan has said. And you cannot deny Trent's statistics. After Kevin De Bruyne, the next best assister in the Premier League is Trent Alexander-Arnold, followed by his associate fullback, Andy Robertson. But Trent, I think not only has become a key provider for this Liverpool team, but he has has followed up from the success of the corner-taking-quickly moment to become one of the deadliest specialists from free-kick, corner-kick, or dead ball situations, perhaps in in the world. We've seen his precision on free-kicks in both Chelsea matches this season, he's slowly but surely accumulating game-defining moments from the right-back position, which I think is stunning for a player of his age who's only 21 years old in a side that has already won the Premier League and the Champions League, where he's been instrumental in both. And I think one stat that defines his season in the context of this Liverpool team, passing out of the press, he has 415 passes out of pressure, and the next best player to do that on Liverpool's side is Andy Robertson with a mere 319. Yeah, I was very, very close to picking Trent. My logic for not picking him was, and Nathan sort of suggested this, I think his star has already risen. And I didn't view this as like a young player of the year award, but kind of rising star. So someone who's still well on the upswing. And maybe the thing is Trent could still get much, much, much better, which is terrifying because I think he's better at this age than even like Danny Alves was, which is probably like the sort of closest comparison you can really make. Um, Which is crazy when you think about it. Absolutely insane, considering what Danny Alves went on to accomplish in his illustrious career. Right. So I, I think Trent could be very deserving, but I was aiming for someone who I think has risen the most this particular year, which for me, being the loyal patriot that I am, um, has to be Christian Pulisic. And this is not I would not have given him this award before, like, quarantine and before Project Restart. But Hold I on, think- Caleb, Caleb, Caleb. I think if you're going to make the case for Pulisic, you need to give an impassioned American speech on your soapbox. I think I want to I wanna envision the national anthem playing behind you as you make this defiant case for Christian Pulisic. Four score and seven years ago. Christian Pulisic was conceived in Hershey, Pennsylvania. <laughs> <laughs> and from those chocolatey oranges, um, he made <laughs> he made the hop to uh, to, to Germany. What, what's like a German dessert? Strudel? Strudel? <laughs> yeah, strudel. strudel. I think it has to be strudel, right? Reared on strudel in his mid to late teens, he broke into the Borussia Dortmund 
uh, you know, squad and occasionally the starting 11. But I think, you know, despite the fact that he was bought for 60 million by Chelsea, people forget that he'd never scored more than four league goals in a season before. Right. So he's like an incredibly unproven player as an attacking entity. And I think in the first half of this year, he, he seemed timid. He seemed to not really know his place. He was being sort of surpassed by other young players in the Chelsea setup. Then there was that hat trick goal in October, I believe. Nathan against the mighty game. Burnley. Against the mighty and defensively sound Burnley. So I, I mean, like we shouldn't when you say mighty Burnley, I think we should give them some credit. Um, but then he kind of like petered out again. But since Project Restart, he has been so instrumental in making sure Chelsea stayed in the Champions League fight and ultimately secured the Champions League place. Four goals, several assists, key contributions, even against Liverpool, despite the fact that they lost. I think he has actually proven that he is like a real soccer player who really could be a kind of like 12 to 15 goal plus seven assist winger in the Premier League, which are very much like Eden Hazard type numbers. And I think considering that he is the player that Pulisic was brought in to sort of fill that void, I think that is huge. And I am so excited to see him play next year when he can play more than 25 Premier League games because I think his star is rising fast. And unlike, you know, other young boys in England that get caught up in the chocolate world, a la Willy Wonka. He's not going to sort of... (laughs) (laughs) He is not going to (laughs) get sort of Augustus glooped and get like... He's not going to get caught in a tube, a pipe of chocolate river, but rather he is going to sail that chocolatey water to success. (laughs) Caleb, one could say, one could say... He is on his way to receiving his golden ticket Absolutely. to Premier League success. <laughs> thank, you. thank you, Nick. I, I was losing it, but no, thank you, Nick. That ties it all together. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to see. I'm glad to see that uh, that we haven't had a complete agreement yet on any of these awards so far. No, I certainly had Pulisic in the conversation, especially considering his performance in Project Restart, where he was instrumental to Chelsea maintaining their grip on Champions League football. And I think his relationship with Olivier Giroud was certainly one that was interesting to watch as it blossomed into a very like creator-finisher style Premier League partnership. I think I think this award really came down to sort of a difference in in definition almost to what we thought we were going for. Because certainly I rate Trent very, very highly. Yeah, and I think this next award we in the past have had uh, sort of wait. So are we shipping? So we're shipping the corner kick award to Merseyside. I yes. think it's yes. fair to say. Yes. With two votes to one. I think it, it looks like it's going to Trent. So it's going to Trent. Trent Alexander Arnold is the corner kick rising star of 2020. Yeah. Yep. Wait. Oh, wait, wait. So I have one quick question. And I, maybe we can add this in as we're going through. But it's important in an award show to imagine sort of what these people are wearing. So what do you think Trent would have worn to the corner kick awards to pick up his Chia pet? I think, I think he would have taken it pretty seriously. I think he would have gone, you know, black suit, red tie, white shirt, uh, very classy. I think he would have gotten a fresh haircut. I mean, I think if it had been Pulisic, I think he would have shown up in like a, a Walmart t-shirt with a giant American flag and bald eagle on it with like cut off sleeves. Um, but unfortunately, we will not be able to be graced with uh, our Lord and Savior, 
No, I think Pulisic, Pulisic would have definitely rolled up in one of those, like, you know, like Christmas suits where it's like got all like the decor <laughs> on it. It's one of those, oh except God. it's got like the American colors and stars and stripes and stuff like that. It would have been a very like pro-America moment. <laughs> and there's, for the like prim. A, there's like a button a la Warzone that sort of plays like a tinny version of Oh Say Can You See of the Star Spangled Banner. Yeah. And despite the fact that those sort of outfits are normally of like really cheap like polyester it would be like the final item Brooks Brothers produced. Now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, Nathan, do you want to take us to our next Corner Kick Award? Absolutely. And this is an award that we've had some disagreements on in the past. It'll, it is the Corner Kick Award for Manager of the Season. Nick, I have a feeling I know what your answer is, but why don't you start us off this time? Sure thing. So my Manager of the Season is Jurgen Klopp. I don't think there's any real surprise there. He has manufactured the quickest Premier League title win of all time in terms of games remaining in a season with seven. He did this with no major signings to the squad. He solidified and modified the Gagan press into what, what I consider to be a more compact and organized version of the system. It withdrew a little bit from that heavy metal mentality that I think has worn out the Liverpool squad in the past couple of years. I think he managed to utilize the players such as Van Dyke, Allison, the evolution of Robertson and Alexander-Arnold, certainly the evolution of Jordan Henderson, who we've already discussed, Fabinho, can't be forgotten as well, to create a more organized version of the heavy metal football, perhaps a new metal style of football, <laughs> shall we say. This Liverpool side has been a complete reflection of Jurgen Klopp and the way that he wants to go out there and entertain and dominate games, but... It is also the never-say-die attitude that Klopp has brought to this team that I think has propelled them to their resounding success miles above everyone else in the league. I think back to the 4-0 win away at Leicester. This is when Leicester were in their peak. They were collecting points. They were coming off of a massive winning run in the Premier League. They were up challenging Liverpool and Man City for the title. And Liverpool went to the KP Stadium fresh off of the plane from winning the Club World Cup in Qatar two days prior, and they whacked them 4-0. They had complete control of the game. They stifled Jamie Vardy, James Madison, all of the Leicester attackers who have been who had been informed the entirety of the season, and they completely demolished any momentum that this Leicester team had going into 2020. And also, I think back to the game away at Aston Villa in October, in which Liverpool, they were dead and buried, for 85 minutes, and they managed to find two goals to grab the game by the scruff of the neck and win it. So this team was able to win sexy, and they were able to win not sexy. To bring that quality out in a team shows why Jurgen Klopp needs to be our recipient of manager of the season. He turned Liverpool into the U.S. Postal Service, whether by rain or sleet, <laughs> hail, <laughs> in any situation, they can get it done. I also was very close, kind of like last time, to picking the sort of Liverpool man in the race here in Klopp. And certainly I respect what Klopp has done a lot. But I have decided to give the award to Chris Wilder. He was my second. He was my second place. Just barely. Yeah, I did this. I did some quick maths. I opened up Excel and I just did a quick calculation of the ratio of points to the value of the team Sheffield just like blast everybody out of the water they have one of the least valuable teams in the division 
but they finished so high up. They finished just below Arsenal, whose team is worth like three or four times as much. Stats like that will make Jurgen Klopp look average because essentially the team performs very well, but that's not great sort of value for money. But I think I was just looking for a way to quantify the like direct impact of a manager, which I think is always sort of one way to look at teams that are greater than the sum of their parts. And Sheffield have stood out all year. And I know they didn't quite make it as high into Europe at all as they wanted to at the end. But I still think I have just incredible respect um, for what he's done at that club. Yeah, Caleb, I also went for Chris Wilder. And I've always sort of viewed this award as representative of the distance traveled. I have a ton of respect for Jurgen Klopp. And I think he's the world's best manager at the moment. But at the same time, I just view what Chris Wilder has done as being particularly impressive, given that he basically took the same squad that he had with him down in League One a few years ago and turned them into, you know, a, a top half team in the Premier League. I mean, they had the fourth best D in the entire league, and they finished with a goal difference of zero, but they conceded the fourth fewest goals in the entire Premier League with just 39 allowed. Uh, and the fact that they were playing a 3-5-2 and for large portions of the season, their top scorer was a center back who would bomb forward on corners. He's uh, made Premier League quality players out of, you know, unknown names like Enda Stevens. And uh, he's signed some really good players as well in January with Sander Berg, who looks to be uh, another important cog in their midfield. So I am content to send this award to Chris Wilder, who just a few short years ago had spent his entire career managing non-league sides up to the league one level yeah i mean i'm totally happy giving this award to chris wilder completely exceptional what he has done with sheffield united and i think he's benefited from the fact that the premier league is a bit slow to react when a new hotness a new system comes into the league and takes it by storm we remember leicester city and the way that their quick counter-attacking and transition play took everyone by storm and it took teams an entire season to get up to speed with what Leicester was doing. And, and I think Sheffield United have certainly benefited from that. And the complexity of their system has been so much for teams, even the big teams. We think about just recently, they beat Chelsea 3-0 at home. I think it's a testament to what Wilder has done. I hope he can continue this Blades renaissance in the next season. I certainly think it'll be a harder challenge for him with the likes of Marcelo Bielsa coming into the Premier League and potentially Moneyball Brentford coming into the Premier League as well. I actually have one more point on Chris Wilder before we transition. I think that he's someone who's held an incredibly high esteem uh, by his managerial peers. He's one of just four managers um, outside of the Premier League to ever win the LMA Manager of the Year Award, which is voted on uh, by the managers of the top four of clubs from the top four leagues uh, in England. And he won that award last year with Jurgen Klopp winning this year. So I do think that he's someone who, at a relatively young age for a manager, um, certainly has a lot of potential as well, should a suitor come coming. And I think very similar to Klopp, but much more in a domestic style. He's taken these players like Oliver Norwood, who is a Manchester United reject youth player, who Alex Ferguson jettisoned from the club and said, you might play in the Premier League one day, but just not for Manchester United. And he's turned these guys who were rejects into diamonds in the rough. And I think any manager who can do that and achieve the massive success that I think no one thought was possible with the Sheffield United team, and certainly, as Nathan was saying, the talent of the squad, 
being similar to what they had in the third tier of English football, I think he's absolutely deserving of getting one of our Chia Pet Corner Kick Awards, lads. Moving from manager of the year, we can look at the signing of the season. And here again, I think there might be an obvious contender, but the way things have been going, I feel like there's going to be at least one wild card. Why don't we start with you, Nick, for this one? As much as I hate to say it, this was very easy for me. And I know we've talked about him a lot on this podcast. We've lavished immense amounts of praise on this man. But I think we're we're about to do it some more. Unquestionably, it's Bruno Fernandes. It is uh, Bruno Fernandes. There's another one. Manchester United have five. And he is rapidly becoming the talisman of the team. Sparking this turnaround in 14 since his arrival. It's a peach of a freak. Nice. Nathan, <laughs> what about you? I think that I am actually going to end up being the wild card. And as much as I wanted to give the award to Bruno Fernandes, my choice is maybe somewhat skirting the rules a little bit because he did play for this club in a previous season. Hmm. But hmm. my choice for signing of the season is Danny Ings. I like I, it. I'll allow it. I will allow you. it. I appreciate that. So, yeah, I mean, it was down between basically the brilliance of Bruno Fernandes that we've seen since January or a pretty ridiculously consistent season uh, from Danny Ings. 22 goals uh, in the Prem this year, many of which came after the lockdown. He scored just about 45% of Southampton's goals on the year. And in a season where their other marquee signing up front, Che Adams, only scored twice, Danny Ings basically salvaged Ralph Hasenhüttl's job, I would say. At the age of only 20, at the age of 28, it seems like he's really revitalized his career um, post his move to Liverpool. And that is why he is my choice for signing of the season based off of his impact alone. So Caleb, do you have Bruno Fernandez as well? I have Bruno Fernandez, but then I was like, hmm, should it be a player that got signed at the beginning of the year? Like, should I put that stricture on myself? And if I did do that, I would give it to Aaron Juan Bissaka, actually. So another Manchester United player. I think he's been excellent. But at the end of the day, I mean, Bruno Fernandez almost single-handedly, plus, you know, the help of the referees who gave Manchester United 14 penalties. Yeah, I think that's probably United's <laughs> biggest signing of the season is <laughs> however, money, however much money they paid off these referees yeah. to give them penalties. And look no further than Jose Mourinho's comments about what he thinks about United receiving so many penalties this season and why Bruno Fernandes is in such fine form. But Caleb, please continue. They gave him opportunities, but he takes them. Like he's a lethal penalty finisher and that is a skill in and of itself also. So I think just the the impact he's had, the way he has turned Manchester United from a club chasing Europa League to a club that felt that they truly deserved in third place in the Premier League. So Bruno Fernandes. Yeah, listen, he had eight goals and seven assists and 14 Premier League starts since his Manchester United tenure began in January. So he's contributed statistically in every single game he's been a part of. And I think most importantly, like Caleb was alluding to, he's elevated everyone around him. You know, when he arrived in January, you were hearing right off the bat training at Manchester United was being played at a much more elevated pace, quicker pace, higher level, higher tempo. And he certainly displayed that higher tempo on the pitch for United. And I think most importantly, post-Project Restart, we can see the impact that he's had on Paul Pogba, who I think has often had the pressure of contributing statistically 
to Manchester United when we know he's perhaps not the biggest goal scorer and assist creator. I think Bruno Fernandes takes that burden off of him and it allows Pogba to play a more free role in the midfield in which he can shuttle the ball along, play it up the pitch. He can use a little bit more of that technique that he became so known for in Serie A. And I think we're because of Bruno Fernandes' excellence consistently, we're seeing a more liberated Pogba at Manchester United, which can only mean dangerous things for the Premier League next season. So I think we have another decisive two-to-one vote. The Chia Pet will be going to the latest Portuguese superstar in Manchester. Well, coming up next, we have pretty much the antithesis of that award, the biggest letdown of the season. There are a number of there, there really are a number of deserving candidates for this award, but Caleb, who do you have for the biggest letdown of the season? Okay, so can we award like several players, like a, a group of people, this award? You can put put out your nominees, you know, like best picture. You know, there's 10 best picture nominees. You can put out as many nominees for this award as you would like. Okay. In a world <laughs> destroyed by COVID-19, some players continued to do nothing. Or in the case of this player, they actually started playing soccer in Tangi and Dombele. He is one of the biggest letdowns I have. Although I think Tottenham as a team are a letdown. And I'm actually conflicted about this because... I think Mourinho just doesn't like him and Mourinho didn't sign him and so he didn't really get a chance. But still, if he was like a 70 million you know, euro midfielder, I think he would have you know, made it off the bench. So I think if I had to go for a single player, it'd be Tengen Dombele for just not giving anything really to the Tottenham midfield. But I have several other deserving candidates here. Everyone at Arsenal other than Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Um, I think it's criminal to have the second top scorer in the league and yet finish eighth place. I think that's inappropriate. And then Keppa. <laughs> I love how you say it's inappropriate, like a disappointing parent. <laughs> it's inappropriate that he's the, the second top scorer in the league. <laughs> he's finishing at eighth. I don't know. I, I think out of all of those... Go to your room. <laughs> but I think it's the player I actually said least about that's going to be the biggest letdown. Keppa. It, yeah, I'm not even going to describe why. It's just Keppa. <laughs> just the singular Keppa. Keppa. It can be used as a verb. It can yeah. be used as a noun. You know, you're pulling a Keppa. You know, you're having a bad Keppa. Yeah, I mean, Keppa is like, it's like the Dunning-Kruger effect as a soccer player. And for, right, that for might those... be a deep cut for our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And, and just for those of you who don't know, the Dunning-Kruger effect is the phenomena where essentially stupid people think they're really smart about things and smart people are much more cautious about their actual expertise. So, Keppa. Listen, Nathan, who is your biggest letdown or disappointment of the Premier League season? I actually took Caleb's one step further and I would actually say the combination of Giovanni Lo Celso and Tangi and Dombele, 130 million between them for two goals and four assists and hardly an appearance off the bench for one of them since the restart is enough to earn them my letdown of the year award, especially seeing as Spurs have been so reluctant to splash the cash on any significant player over the past three years or so. And then for them to come back and make statement signings last summer uh, with two marquee midfielders, you would have thought that they were trying to get Pochettino his first bit of silverware. But then of course, 
following his departure and the arrival of Jose Mourinho, it is clear that neither of them have been the fits in his system uh, that they would have hoped. So perhaps it'll be another cautionary tale for inflated spending, especially as we look at a somewhat deflated market this coming summer. Nick, what about you? For a lot of these awards, I've written down a lot of statistics, anecdotes, my reasons why certain people should be winning certain awards. You know, there's paragraph style, bullet point style next to a lot of my categorizations. But for this award, I just wrote biggest letdown, colon, and then in all caps, Spurs. (laughs) Because it's Spurs. And I think the only winner of this season for Tottenham Hotspurs is going to be Amazon. (laughs) Because they're going to get the juiciest all or nothing documentary out of this absolute disaster of a Spurs team. And let's not forget, this was a Spurs team that just over 12 months ago were in the Champions League final. They had ascended to the peak of the European game. And while they lost, they were still a finalist. To have that all plummet away so quickly and to replace a charismatic manager like Maurizio Pochettino, who had won over the hearts and minds of not only the fans, but also the executives and most importantly, the players. He'd created a culture and a mentality of success, building slowly and deliberately all that good stuff that goes into man management and creating a culture of, you know, acceptance, love, positivity, all that stuff, which is why we loved Maurizio Pochettino and watching him work. They replaced him with Jose Mourinho. And I think since Mourinho has been appointed, we've seen that culture of positivity that Pochettino embodied at Spurs. And I think which propelled them so far, we've seen that all erode. And Mourinho's changed the culture at Spurs into something that I think is going to continually get very, very nasty. I don't think him and Spurs are a good fit. And I think from where Spurs were a year ago to where they are now, it's really, really worrying. So cheers to Jeff Bezos, who is going to be getting an amazing documentary soon. As for Spurs, I think they're my biggest letdown of the season. Dude, Spurs should have learned from Liverpool. You know, however many, was it six or seven years ago now when they had their documentary behind the scenes thing? You just you can't do it. It doesn't work. Um, but maybe it's time for Spurs to bring in Ted Lasso. I mean, why not at this point? Listen, um, he's available. Certainly a, a decent man motivator. Yeah. I would say culture builder. Absolutely. Are we giving it to just Spurs then? Do we have enough funds to fund that many Chia Pets? We can figure something out. Okay. Hey, listen, maybe we can send them through Amazon. It can be an accompaniment. They can get a Blu-ray of the uh, of the documentary, followed by our custom-made Chia Pet. Oh, I feel like even just the act of sending them a Blu-ray is kind of a cut. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's it's a it's a biggest oh, letdown in and of itself. It's like the only Blu-rays they're going to sell of that special edition. Maybe, maybe oh, I mean, I'm so definitely going to watch this documentary. The trailer alone is. No, but you're not going to watch it on Blu-ray. Oh no, no, absolutely not. No. <laughs> I would be be streaming it like everyone else. (laughs) But yeah, the scene in the trailer of the documentary where Mourinho is walking into the Spurs dressing room for the first time and you see Christian Eriksen's face and his face just reads, I'm a head out. (laughs) Yeah, lads, that concludes the Premier League portion of our Corner Kick Awards for our episode. So our Corner Kick Player of the Year is Kevin De Bruyne. Our Corner Kick Rising Star of the Year is Trent Alexander-Arnold. Our corner kick manager of the year is Chris Wilder. Our corner kick Premier League signing of the season is Bruno Fernandes. And our corner kick biggest letdown or disappointment of the season is just 
S P U R S Tottenham Hotspurs. Nathan, do you want to take us into the non Premier League awards section? Absolutely. So for these next couple of awards, we decided to expand it to the entire global game. Do we want to start off with the corner kick golazo of the season? So my golazo of the season, and I say this somewhat begrudgingly, was Kareem Benzema's incredible volley versus Valencia after the La Liga restart. Back for Benzema. On the side! It came off of a great counterattack. Tony Kroos hit a peach of a pass out to Marco Asensio, who crossed the ball in for Benzema to sort of lovingly caress and control before viciously volleying it um, into the top of the net. And that was sort of one of the big games that gave Madrid huge momentum um, as they overcame a small deficit in the table to Barcelona to eventually win La Liga. So it was both impactful, beautiful, truly a golazo. So my corner kick golazo of the season, ironically enough, <laughs> comes from Tottenham Hotspurs. <laughs> and it is Hunmin Son's amazing solo run against oh, Burnley. Ali to the left. Son on a mission to go alone. This is sensational. Mm. Just to paint the picture here, Son picks up the ball in his own box and he just starts running. He just starts darting at pace straight up the field. He takes on one Burnley player. He beats him. Four Burnley players are scrambling to get back to him. It becomes five Burnley players. It becomes six Burnley players. He beats them all for pace. He ducks around the last Burnley defender, slides it. Underneath, I believe it was Nick Pope at the time, Kudman Son essentially goes the length of the pitch in a matter of seconds to score what I think is one of the best individual solo runs I've ever seen from a player. It led to, after the game, Mourinho dubbing him Sonaldo. I watched this goal happen live, and it was one of those things where I just, from the moment he crossed the halfway line, I was on the edge of my seat, and when he beat that final man, I was off of it. It was an absolutely electric goal in a season in which there wasn't that many electric moments for Spurs. Anytime I get to celebrate Hunmin Son, who I think is one of the most underrated players in the world, I will take that chance. That is my goal of the season. Well, I think we're going to have to make three separate awards to mail out uh, for this one. we got to contact the Chia Pet Factory and let them know to increase production threefold. My goal also comes from Spain. It is Luis Suarez's goal uh, versus Mallorca. Roberto. Now Luis Suarez. Oh! Luis Suarez with a back heel goal. 4-1. And Suarez. And it's my goal of the season simply because I've never seen another goal that was anything like it. Somehow Luis Suarez managed to curve a back heel from about 10 yards away mm. in an impossible angle. Uh, and he managed to hit this ball first time and curve it into the back post. Uh, and despite the fact that the game wasn't a terribly high stakes game, it was just a simply ridiculous goal. And I did have Son's goal versus Burnley as my second choice. This Suarez goal is just ridiculous. Uh, there's a couple backheel flicks in the buildup to the goal as well. Suarez, in a career full of ridiculous goals, this one might be one of the top that he has ever scored. Oh, those were happier times in the fall. <laughs> 
Well, Laz, I'm perfectly content with sending out three separate corner kick awards to these three amazing goals. I certainly think we can't go wrong in selecting a single one. However, I think it is just as more poetic that we send out three awards to these three amazing golazos. So from here, we'll enter our penultimate award, biggest comeback story person team of the year. And maybe Nathan, we can start with you. This has been a, a podcast so far that's been pretty devoid of, uh, of Arsenal topics, which I suppose is fitting given the season that was had at the Emirates. My it's an award back, show. <laughs> <It's> an award. <laughs> I know. It's, a, it's uh, not a mid-table show. <laughs> very well. Uh, my comeback story of the year is the emergence of Emmy Martinez uh, as a genuine uh, first team goalie. Yeah, this is not, this is not going to win. He had been with the club for 10 years, made just over a handful of appearances, including letting five goals in against Reading in that famous seven, five game. And after Bern Leno was injured in the second game, following the restart, he stepped up and immediately delivered with, uh, with four clean sheets for someone who's stuck around at the club. He's the longest tenured player at Arsenal. Uh, I'm very happy that he has gotten his chance. He has certainly proven that despite having a career full of uh, lower table loans, that he can make it at a top club. And so that is my story for comeback of the year. Caleb Rhodes. I think mine is slightly better than that, which I'm not sure is that difficult. I'm not sure what Emmy Martinez was coming back from other than sort of irrelevance. My comeback player of the year is the diminutive Spaniard in Villarreal, in Santi Cazorla. I know this is his second year having returned, but he really became one of the top players in La Liga again. He also made his first appearances for the Spain team since 2015, um, which I think is really impressive as a 35-year-old. And this is the stat I alluded to off the show. He has the most goals this season with 15 than he has had in any other season in his professional career, including his highest scoring season with Arsenal when he had 12 goals in the 2012-2013 year. And so I think that that is just great to see a player with a massive injury who came back as a 34-year-old and then sort of returned to his honestly peak levels as a 35-year-old, and now he's off to Al-Sad. Yeah, so. you know, might not be the most illustrious move after a comeback of the year-worthy performance from Santi Cazorla, but I think certainly someone who is worthy of receiving this award. I think, once again, we're going to have to divvy up this Chia Pet three ways, boys, because my comeback player of the year is someone who went to the sunny shores of Los Angeles, said no to the bright lights of Hollywood after picking up over 50 goals in LA Galaxy colors. Coming back to play in Europe at the age of 38 with AC Milan and bringing them by the scruff of their necks all the way up into sixth place in a European position, it is Zlatan Ibrahimovic's return to Syria. I think Zlatan, not only has he upped the level of AC Milan, he has also upped the confidence of this, I think quite young and inexperienced Milan team, to go out and do things such as beat Juventus 4-2 in a quite convincing game. He scored 10 goals since returning to the side, so he's reached double-digit goals since his return in January, and he's also provided six assists. I think Zlatan, once again, has made the impossible possible. He's turned AC Milan 
into his team with so much momentum in Syria going into the next campaign. I'm pretty sure they're going to end up re-signing him. And he's going to be a key cog for this Milan team at the age of 38 going into the age of 39, looking like he's not missed a step. And this was someone who during the break, suffered a serious knee injury. And he came back from that and he looked fresher than ever before at the, at the age of 38. So I think it's wild that Zlatan Ibrahimovic is still able to produce at a world-class level after going to play in MLS, where, let's just face it, you know, it's not the same level as playing in Serie A or playing at PSG or playing at Manchester United. So he found a way to pick up his game from L.A., and elevate that even more to compel this AC Milan side to finish in sixth place with by scoring 60 goals and getting some marquee wins for this AC Milan team devoid of confidence before he arrived. I, I think actually think we that's were... a great shout. I think it's a great shout. But I think that if we're being honest here, and I think we should really try to only give one award, we have to vote for Emmy Martinez. I mean, <laughs> it is. <laughs> I mean, I did read something quite touching today about why Emmy Martinez left. He's Uruguayan, right? He's Argentinian. Why, why he left Argentina at the age of 17 to go play for Arsenal. And that was because he wanted to support his family who were struggling to pay the bills at home. So I certainly think that I'm glad Emmy Martinez is getting this recognition now in his career. But I, I just think the impact that a 38-year-old lion in Zlatan has had coming from what many deem to be a retirement league in MLS, certainly a league where the quality of play isn't up to par with that of Serie A, which he was walking into. I just don't know how he's done it. Speaking of turning AC Milan into a juggernaut once again, there was a report today from, I think, BT Sport that says that Saudi Arabia have actually turned their focus um, to purchasing AC Milan no. away. Yes, um, since their Newcastle bid has officially failed. Uh, keeping in oh, mind that makes how AC sense. Milan is owned right now, um, it looks like they're going to be the focus of Saudi Arabia's public investment group. Yeah, so just keep that in mind. I think that when Zlatan gets this award uh, in the mail, he will say... Everybody thought I was in a wheelchair. And what happened? The lion is still alive. So our final award is maybe a little bit more of an obscure one, but we wanted to celebrate the fact that this has been an erratic season and certainly a very charged season, both on an emotional front, on a personal front, and on a soccer front on the pitch. So we did want to celebrate that somewhat. So our final award is titled the biggest surprise slash holy moment of the season. I'm sure we'll have a bevy of interesting moments to discuss here. But Nathan Strauss, why don't you kick us off with your biggest shocker slash holy moment? I think my biggest shocker comes from a bleary day back in April when I woke up at 9 a.m. and hopped on a Zoom call with the two of you to tune into, no, not the Premier League, not even La Liga, but the Belarusian League. I don't think there is a single permutation of the multiverse where you could have asked me what league would we be watching uh, on a weekend morning. But in a world where the only major active sporting league is from a small ex-Soviet country, with incredibly subpar soccer, I can safely say that that was the biggest holy moment as all three of us watched a nil-nil draw in what is, I believe, our only experience with Belarusian soccer. God damn it. I had the exact same thing. I mean, who knew that the Belarusian league or Belarus, the country, 
would become the most relevant center of sport in the world. I mean, like I thought we would be in Tokyo 2020. That was crazy. That was unexpected. I think that showed me the extent to which sport matters to me. So I wholeheartedly endorse the Belarusian League being the holy shit or surprise moment of this campaign. So my fun moment of, or my fun holy shit moment of the season is definitely going to be the Belarusian League. But also, let's not forget the scandal in Sochi that was and that <laughs> required us that required us to kickstart a whole new series, our corner taking quickly series. For me, my biggest surprise was seeing the bevy and outcry and organization of support for the Black Lives Matter movement across the game and particularly in the Premier League. The three of us and many other fans across the globe have often been frustrated with the lack of vocal support from football establishment. I think players are often the ones who mobilize the most in getting their message of equality across. You know, we think about Raheem Sterling uh, the most recently in terms of being someone who is very vocal about his experiences with racism on and off the pitch in the wake of everything that went on in the United States, which created this domino effect across the world. It was really, really heartening to see the Premier League as a whole state that black lives do matter. The taking the knee before every single game of Project Restart, as well as displaying black the Black Lives Matter slogan where players' names would normally be for the first 12 matches of the Premier League season. The fact that the most visible league in the world and the league that recoups the most money in TV broadcasting rights was willing to do this and stick their neck on the line somewhat, I think says a lot about where football is going, at least from an administration standpoint. And I would hope to see that continue. And I hope this wasn't just something where it was like a good business decision for the Premier League and they decided to capitalize on the moment. I hope that these players and the Premier League fans have demonstrated to the Premier League that investing in equality is the right thing to do. And I think we certainly saw this come to a head in a game between Manchester City and Burnley. Some rogue Burnley fans took the opportunity to fly a White Lives Matter Burnley banner over the Etihad Stadium. I think we saw the looks of disgust from the Burnley players on the field who didn't want to be associated with that kind of vitriol at all. And I think hats off to the Burnley, the Burnley club and Burnley staff who put out a statement at halftime denouncing hatred, denouncing racism, displaying all the good work that Burnley Football Club has been doing to combat racism. And it's, let's be honest, in its fairly white rural community in England. And I think Ben Mee, the speech that he made following the match, immediately coming out, looking very emotional uh, distraught and angry with the way that some of his supporters had reacted to what 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 had been such a triumphant moment for equality in the Premier League. Hats off to him for really putting a period on what was a I think a watershed moment for equality in football during Project Restart. Absolutely, that was definitely you know a much more serious big moment than the Belarusian League, but very, very important and very good to see um, in a world that has changed a lot, obviously, in the past few months, but especially socially and especially seeing good movement um, in the social justice space. Well, lads, that has been the Corner Kick Awards. We got to get started mailing all these Chia pets out <laughs> across the Atlantic. 
But let me read out to you guys our eight recipients of the Corner Kick Awards this year. So just to go through it again, our Corner Kick Player of the Year is Kevin De Bruyne. Our Corner Kick Manager of the Year is Chris Wilder. Our Corner Kick Rising Star of the Year is Trent Alexander-Arnold. Our Corner Kick Signing of the Year is Bruno Fernandes. Our biggest letdown of the season is Spurs. Our biggest comeback of the season is Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Our golazo of the season is open Several. for interpretation. <laughs> it is between Son versus Burnley, Luis Suarez versus Mallorca, and Karim Benzema versus who was it, Caleb? Valencia. Versus Valencia. And our biggest surprise slash holy shit moment is watching the Belarusian League rise to prominence as well as the sweeping social justice movement in Project Restart. Lads, what do you make of our Corner Kick Awards this season? I'm really pleased with how uh, with how they've wound up. I think it's nice to see that we don't always agree on who merits what award, uh, as is tradition, actually, amongst this podcast. And I'm already looking forward to, uh, to next year's Corner Kick Awards. Who knows what this next year of soccer is going to bring for us Will we see fans back in stadia across the continent? Uh, how will the new Champions League format turn out? Who is to say? But nonetheless, it has been a pleasure watching soccer with you guys through all of the ups and downs and twists and turns and delays and restarts of this past year. I, for one, first off, I'm predicting Godzilla for 2021. For player of the year? or uh, uh for se- he could win several awards. He could sweep. I think he has a really unique skill set. But I, for one, am happy to be sending a Chia Pet to Black Lives Matter Plaza in D.C. for the well-earned holy shit moment. Absolutely. Well, the good news is, if you're sick of us, too bad. Because we're going to be coming back to you later this week with a breakdown of the Champions League, which is about to restart once again in Portugal. Uh, in an abbreviated format, but certainly a format which is going to provide a lot of entertainment for all of us prospective viewers. But that has been the Corner Kick Awards. If you're receiving a Chia Pet in the mail, don't question it. Just go along with it. Just know that you are a part of the illustrious history of the Corner Kick media brand. But with that being said, I've been Nick Vinden. I'm Caleb Rhodes. Nathan Strauss. That has been our show. That has been the Corner Kick Awards. And we will see you all next time.